Hi, everybody. This is Gary Sandy, and thank you very much for listening to the WKRP cast. So just sit right down, relax, open your ears real wide, and say... Weather today in the greater Cincinnati area. Are you awake? Whoa! Are you awake now? But the senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. Say what? Dear God, she's going to kill us all. Welcome to the WKRP cast. My name is Donna Stair. And I'm her husband, Alan. This is a week-by-week, episode-by-episode rewatch. We're getting into the music, the trivia, and the fun of WKRP. So, fellow babies, don't touch that dial. It's time for the WKRP cast. I'm at WKRP in Cincinnati. Welcome back to the WKRP cast. We're getting cloak and dagger this week. Donna, what is our episode? We are discussing the Americanization of Ivan. The air date was the 28th of January, 1980. Story by Hugh Wilson. Teleplay by Dan Gunselman and Steve Marshall. Story editors, Dan Gunselman, Steve Marshall, Stephen Campman, and P.J. Tarakvi. Executive story consultant, Blake Hunter, directed by Hugh Wilson. A member of a group of hog experts visiting from Russia informs the radio staff that he wishes to defect. Despite Les's staunch position on communism, the group works to help the Russian citizen to defect while in Cincinnati, only to be thwarted by bureaucracy at the last moment. Now, this is only the second episode directed by Hugh Wilson, this one, and baseball. And those are the only two that he will direct in the entire series. But that's not the real story here. The real story is, what's with all the names on the writer's screen? We've got a story by credit to Hugh Wilson, then a teleplay by for Dan Gunselman and Steve Marshall. This is the first time we've seen something other than written by on a WKRP episode. We wanted to take a moment to explain. Written by means the person listed both came up with the story and wrote the script. In cases where one person came up with the idea but someone else puts it on paper, that's where you get this separation. Story by, in this case, means Hugh had the idea. He said something like, hey, what if a Russian comes to Cincinnati and decides to defect? Dan Gunselman and Steve Marshall took Hugh's basic idea and turned it into what's called a teleplay. Teleplay means a script specifically written for television. Screenplays are for movies. Teleplays are for TV. The Writers Guild specifies the various titles and designations. It, of course, all has to do with who gets paid, and how much. We also have a missing name in the credits. You might not have caught it, but Lisa Levin is not listed as a production secretary in this episode. Put Up or Shut Up was Lisa's final episode as a production secretary. Her usual credit line has been replaced by a woman named Patricia Perillo. Patricia started as a production secretary on the episode Jennifer's Home for Christmas. She will go on to be a production secretary and assistant to the producers through the rest of the series. Now, Lisa Levin doesn't go anywhere. We're guessing at about this time she's off writing her first ever episode of WKRP. Lisa gets sole writer credit on the upcoming episode, The Doctor's Daughter. This episode... 
The Americanization of Ivan marks a major transition in Lisa's career. She will soon be in the writer's room as a story editor. Lisa will rack up a total of 44 story editor credits. Only Hugh Wilson, Dan Gunselman, Steve Marshall, and Blake Hunter will have more writing credits than Lisa. She also goes on to marry story editor Dan Gunselman after the series wraps. Oh, and a little tidbit about Dan that we've never mentioned. Dan Gunselman was born and raised in Cincinnati, Ohio. He even worked as a cameraman for WKRC-TV before moving to L.A. Let's get into this episode. We're starting out in the studio, always one of my favorite places to be, because we've got posters to the left of Les. If you look under the window there next to the studio door, you got a poster promoting the Emerson, Lake, and Palmer album in concert. This album features audio from an August 1977 show recorded at Olympic Stadium in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. The picture on the album cover is Olympic Stadium. The album was released in November of 1979. There's a new poster at the bottom of the door. The one with the blue and red field is an album cover for the British band Interview. This is a promo poster for their album Big Oceans, released in 1979. The driver said, Boy, Michael Hernandez, the accountant of rock, for identifying that poster for us. Les is at the microphone finishing up his new show, and right off the top, we get a Philly reference. Finally, in Philadelphia, thousands return to their homes peacefully. Now this. Les then puts in a tape to introduce a segment of his show. WKRP Commentary with Les Nesman. A gloves-off, no-holds-barred personal editorial from the desk of Les Nesman. Now, Cincinnati's watchdog, Les Nesman. Commentary. Nesman. Commentary. Nesman. Commentary. Nesman. As the intro is playing, Les gets up and puts on a jacket and scarf. He is changing characters even though he's on the radio and nobody can see him. And now a special look at this episode's bandage placement for the five-time Buckeye Newshawk Award winner, Les Nesman. This is the Les Nesman Bandage Report. Now here's Donna Stare with her report about Les Nesman. Entire left Thumb. This has been a look at the bandage placement for Silver Sow and Copper Cobb award-winning journalist Les Nesman. Now, hold on. Before we go any further, it's another Philly joke. The ongoing Season 2 Philly joke continues with this latest report from Mr. Nesman. In Philadelphia, thousands frightened. In Philadelphia... Four dead. In Philadelphia, local fighter nearly beaten to death. And in Philadelphia, Archbishop... 
Carmel was arrested again. So why does Hugh Wilson seemingly love to name check and mildly harass Philly? A couple of reasons. First off, the producers originally considered setting the show in Philly. The city council said no. And if that wasn't bad enough, when Pete Rose left Cincinnati, he landed in Philly. Want more? Remember the Tony Randall show and how many of the people who worked on WKRP also worked there? The Tony Randall show was set in Philly. Finally, in Philadelphia, thousands returned to their homes peacefully. Now this. We will keep you posted as the ongoing Philly jokes continue. Les reports that there is a group of godless, deceitful, communist Russians delegates in their city as he speaks. They come here under the guise of international hog experts. (laughs) Well, if there's one thing this reporter knows about, it's two things. A, hogs, and B, communists. So today, precisely at 11 15 a.m., this reporter will appear at a jam-packed press conference at the recently remodeled Casa de Vida Hotel and Motor Court to give our misguided friends a little dose of capitalistic journalism. He then tells everyone to tune in tomorrow for an update and signs off. The outro is playing as Johnny enters the studio. This has been commentary with Les Nesman, whose views do represent the views of this station and its members. Normally, those kind of exonerate the station, but with this one, Les is saying the station is backing him. Johnny makes a face as he hears Les's outro. Les mentions détente. Détente is a French word that means relaxation. The détente mentioned here was a period of the Cold War lasting from just after the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962 until the Russian invasion of Afghanistan in 1979. Richard Nixon expanded détente in 1969 with open talks and summits. Nixon's efforts led to the signing of both the SALT and SALT II treaties, and signing of the Helsinki Accords. A common element of the détente era were fact-finding or information-sharing bureaucratic missions, like the group of hog experts visiting Cincinnati. Les says he's heading to the Casa de Vida Hotel and Motor Court in Cincinnati. Well, we looked it up. There is no such thing. However, there is an apartment building in Los Angeles named Casa de Vida, The words translate to house of life, but the phrase means literally living house. Les also uses the expression, don't take any wooden nickels. This expression dates to the turn of the 19th century. It means to be cautious in one's dealings. At the time, it was common for wooden nickels to be issued by businesses and banks as a promotion. You could trade a wooden nickel for a Coke at the right soda fountain. But they weren't legal tender. You didn't want to be fooled into taking a wooden nickel for actual payment. Later, it became a phrase that meant, don't be gullible. During World War II, the term taking a wooden nickel meant believing a lie. Johnny, shaking his head, tells Les it's a good thing Art doesn't listen to his own station. And he has a seat in the DJ chair. Les comes up behind Johnny with a worried look on his face. And he bends down with his hand on Johnny's back. His mouth is ominously next to Johnny's ear. Hogs. Communists. Think about it. Les leaves the studio, but he got to Johnny. You see Johnny sitting there with a very serious look on his face. He's mouthing the words hogs and communists over and over. And that takes us into our theme. WKRP in Cincinnati.
we come back to the bullpen and we start it right off. It's, it's time. time! Herb Darling, fashion alert. It looks like Herb has stolen an outfit from an elf on the shelf. <laughs> His jacket is plaid red, white, and blue with green pocket flaps, a green collar, green elbow patches, and gold buttons. He's wearing green pants, an ivory-colored dress shirt with a green and red striped tie. And, of course, his signature white belt and shoes. He should have been wearing that one during Jennifer's Home for Christmas. It looks <laughs> yeah. great. It's his holiday edition. Yeah. Herb and Les are in the bullpen. Herb is trying to convince Les about a new business idea. A dating service for registered sex offenders is a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> this one makes me laugh every time I hear it. Herb is wanting Les for some reason to do an editorial about sex offenders to launch this new business or something. Les is refusing. Where are those people going to go for love? Les tells Herb it's not his problem. Not yet, anyway. Herb is awfully worried about sex offenders' love lives. <laughs> I know it. <laughs> He's fixated on it. And this is before Match or any online dating. I don't know. Man, this is going to be quite an undertaking. Travis enters the bullpen, and Herb asks him his thoughts on a dating service for sex offenders. Oh, sounds good. Herb will like it. Excuse me. <laughs> I don't think Andy was completely listening to Herb. He is on a mission wanting to talk with Les. I want you to stop these editorials. You do not represent the opinions of this station, and in my humble opinion, you do not represent the opinions of anyone I have ever known. <laughs> and I want to stop. And I'm not going to get mad about it either, but if it continues, I'm going to punch you out. Les is putting batteries into a cassette player. I'm on my way to torpedo a pinko press conference. Yeah. It's as if he didn't hear a word Andy just said. Les rushes toward the door to exit the bullpen. When the sanity of Andy clashes with the craziness of the bullpen, that's where you see really <laughs> even more so how crazy the bullpen is. So Herb asks Andy if he really liked that sex offender dating service idea. Where's your seat, Herb? Uh, right over there. Uh, take it as a personal favor to me. I was just preparing to sit as you came in. <laughs> Andy continues talking to Les. I don't want you going to any more press conferences without Bailey. If you go to a press conference and Bailey is not there, I want you to take this special dime and i want you to call me and i want you to say andy where's bailey andy's patience is very thin right now andy tells les he thinks maybe he's lost his perspective herb stands up you know travis ah. <laughs> i want to cramp your style but i also do not want this station to sound like radio free bellevue either. les asks andy if bailey is a dollar an hour babysitter or something andy tells les to not be ridiculous. Bailey comes into the bullpen, hurrying over to Andy. Uh, Andy, I changed my mind. I want $1.50. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, that's no problem. <laughs> Andy used the phrase radio-free Bellevue. Bellevue Hospital is the oldest and one of the largest public hospitals in the United States. The first two-story brick building was completed in, get this, 1736 in New York City. Although Bellevue is a full-service hospital, it's well-known as being a psychiatric hospital catering to truly disturbed patients. Bellevue's reputation comes from their 1879 edition of a Pavilion for the Insane, 
one of the first treatment facilities of its kind in the world. At the time, the Bellevue Pavilion was a groundbreaking and revolutionary approach toward treating mental illness. The general public only heard the term insane asylum. This is why Bellevue has become the shorthand term for psychiatric hospital in the United States. How big is Bellevue Hospital? The main campus has 844 patient beds as of 2015 and handles 460,000 non-emergency patients annually. Because they're waiting for you at Bellevue with their oxygen masks. But I could give it all to you now if only you could ask. Les is looking like a little kid who just got scolded by a parent. Bailey looks at Les and asks if he's ready to go. Les says he is. He puts on his hat and he stomps out the door. Herb poses his dating service for sex offenders question to Bailey. Sounds great. No, I always knew that someday you start your own business. <laughs> Makes sense. She quickly leaves the bullpen to catch up with Les. We see Herb sitting there and you can tell... The wheels are turning in his head, but then he talks himself out of it and shakes his head. <laughs> he was actually contemplating yeah, he was that idea. it over how to make that happen. <laughs> Next, we find ourselves at the press conference. Bailey and Les are the only two reporters in attendance at Les's packed press conference. They are listening to a Russian gentleman speaking. The room is set up with many chairs, all of them empty. Four Russian men are seated at a head table on a platform. One of the Russians is talking about a hormone that was invented in the USSR. We have more than doubled the volume of meat being processed on our collective. Well, Les is not shy about expressing what he thinks of this. Bull. Bull. <laughs> Confused, the Russian turns to the man next to him, and he speaks in Russian. They aren't getting the colloquialism. The other man answers him in Russian. The Russian who is talking about the hormone looks back at Les. On Pahushna, how did you do? Both of the Russians laugh. Les looks at Bailey, then back to the panel of Russians. One of them says, it's time... For the question and answer period. We heard the words howdy doody in the Russian translator's comments, most likely describing Les. Even though Les doesn't look much like howdy doody, it's still a funny line. Howdy Doody was a marionette-style puppet who hosted his own kids' TV show from December of 1947 to September of 1960. Say, kids, what time is it? Howdy Doody! Okay, gang, let's go! It's Howdy Doody time. It's Howdy Doody time. Bob Smith and Howdy Doody. Created and voiced by Buffalo Bob Smith, Howdy Doody set the pattern for decades of kids' shows. Howdy was a cowboy dressed in a red plaid western shirt and neckerchief. Howdy had red hair and freckles. Forty-eight freckles to be exact. One for every state in the Union at the time the show was aired. We have two named Russians out of the four on the panel. 
Ivan, the guy running the show, is being played by American character actor Michael Pataki. Pataki was born in January of 1938 in Youngstown, Ohio. He made his film debut as an uncredited extra in the 1958 film Ten North Frederick. Pataki had an extensive career on both television and in films. A career high point? His Klingon character, Korax from the original 1966 series, is the first Klingon to ever speak Klingonese. Pataki died in April of 2010 from cancer. The interpreter is being played by Alex Rodine. Alex is a Hollywood actor with 56 acting credits. We couldn't find anything about him personally, but he does seem to land a lot of roles as a Russian. He's been a KGB agent. He was coach of a Russian Olympic team in Airport 79. He even played Nikita Khrushchev in 2002. And his very first ever acting gig was in the 1960 Anthony Perkins Jane Fonda movie Tall Story. He was uncredited, but he played a Russian interpreter. When asked if anyone has any questions, Les raises his hand and introduces himself as a being from WKRP News. What I'd like to know is, who do you think you're kidding? Kidding. Communists don't kidding. They ask for the next question. Les raises his hand again. I'd like to know... What you think you're trying to pull? (laughs) The Russians are confused. They don't understand what Les is asking. The way they understand pull makes no sense with the topic that they're discussing. Would pretty girl with great body like to ask questions? (laughs) Les is so mad and they're not getting it. (laughs) Bailey, not knowing they're referring to her, turns to look behind her. She sees that there's nobody else in the room, so they must be talking to her. She says it's not her field. The Russian that was talking gets up, and he comes out to talk with Bailey, asking what her field is. She tells him that she works for a radio station. Les has a microphone hooked up to his cassette player. He positions himself between Bailey and the Russian, so he's moving the mic back and forth from one to the other as they're talking. Do you play decadent American music? Oh, why, yes, yes, we do. (laughs) Les tells them to stick to the subject of pigs. Press conference over, howdy. (laughs) (laughs) Press conference over, howdy. (laughs) The Russian tells Les there's a very beautiful lady, and it is a great honor to be meeting her. He takes Bailey's hand and kisses it. Must now go see prize-winning hog. (laughs) Bye-bye. The four Russians leave the room. Bailey notices the Russian slipped something into her hand. What's that? He gave it to me when he kissed my hand. She finds a folded up piece of paper. It's a note. A note? (laughs) We transition back to the lobby later that day. Les, Venus, and Jennifer come into the lobby. Les is excitedly telling them about Bailey, the Russian, and the note. The Russian goes to kiss Bailey's hand, just like this. Les grabs Venus's hand to demonstrate the kiss. Not a good idea. Venus jerks his hand back, so Les takes Jennifer's hand and kisses it. Then he sneaks her a note. Oh, Les, that happens all the time, trust me. (laughs) I wonder how many notes Jennifer has has gotten. Has been handed in in what situations. (laughs) Les tells them the note said, please help me. 
Well, Jennifer nods. That's standard. <laughs> Look, the guy wants to defect to this country. Venus asks where Bailey is, and Les tells him that she went to help the Russian. The note asked her to meet him in Fountain Square, and Bailey went. Well, Venus asks Les why he didn't go with her. To meet a communist? Heading to Fountain Square. Fountain Square is the area where that giant fountain statue is located that we see at the beginning of the show. It is in downtown Cincinnati. The 43-foot-tall fountain is named after Cincinnati businessman Tyler Davidson. It was dedicated in 1871. They turn the fountain off over the winter, and I love this. I found that each spring, it's turned back on the same day as the Reds' home opener. Bailey enters the lobby, and she's arm-in-arm with the Russian. She introduces her friend to the others. This is Ivan uh, Papa, son of... uh... (laughs) Ivan Papa Sonavisky. Right. Ivan, these are my friends. And you remember Les... Howdy. Venus says howdy back. Then Jennifer raises her hand in a little wave and says howdy. Ivan's eyes pop out of his head. He runs back and forth between Bailey and Jennifer. American beauty. (laughs) Mountain view. Hot dog. Ice cream. He's just spouting. Americanisms. Yeah, these phrases that he's heard. (laughs) Then, getting down on his knees, he looks up at the ceiling and exclaims, God bless America. (laughs) He then bends down and kisses the floor. Hey, we've got a poster watch in a spot where we normally don't have a poster watch. In the hallway going back to the bullpen, there's an ACDC poster stuck up there. It's a promo for their sixth studio album, Highway to Hell, which was released in July of 1979. This was the last ACDC album featuring lead singer Bon Scott. Scott would die in February of 1980. Now we see Travis walking down the hall outside of the studio, and he runs into Johnny. Johnny asks him if he's met the Russian yet. Johnny says Venus bought Ivan a whole new outfit. Said all the cat wants is blue jeans, sneakers, and rock and roll. He also asked about funny cigarette. I told him nothing like that ever goes on in radio stations. Andy rolls his eyes and goes into the bullpen. Les is at his desk, and Herb, Jennifer, and Bailey are over standing together in a little group. Andy asks, where is Ivan? Herb tells Andy he's in the bathroom changing into his new duds that Venus helped him pick out. Jennifer tells Andy she thinks Ivan has a crush on Bailey. Yeah, that's pretty obvious. Les is not happy about any of this, saying they should be calling the police. How do we know he's really a defector? Hey, everybody, take a look, huh? Are we talking cool or what? Venus and Ivan enter the bullpen. Ivan looks like a white (laughs) Russian version of Venus. He's wearing a white shirt covered in bejeweled music notes with a polka dot collar and a front zipper open halfway down his chest. He's wearing a rainbow whistle as a necklace with a matching rainbow pin on his hat that looks like roller skates. He has on blue pants and the blue cap matches the blue pants. 
He even has an earring in one ear. Ivan asks them if they like. Get down. <laughs> he does a little twisty wiggle as he says this. Jennifer tells him that he looks very Western. Hey, where's the white belt? I told you to get him a white belt. Yes, Herb wants him in a white belt. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure Venus ignored that suggestion. That would be very disco-ish. So Bailey sees Andy and runs over to introduce Ivan to him. Uh, Andy, I'd like you to meet um, Ivan Papa something. Son of a bitch. <laughs> well, that almost sounds like something else, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, and Les says it with a lot of aggression in his voice. Andy shakes hands with Ivan and asks how he's doing. Very good. Blue jean, baby. <laughs> L.A. lady, seamstress for the bell. <laughs> Ivan turns Bailey towards him and gets a little handsy there. He starts nuzzling her neck. Apparently Elton John toured Russia. <laughs> and yes, Elton John did go to Russia. Elton John played eight concerts in the Soviet Union between May 21st through 28th, 1979. Blue jean, baby, L.A. It was a significant event among Cold War tensions and indicated communist tolerance towards Western culture. Billboard magazine said that Elton was the first rock artist to appear in the USSR. Let's ask Andy what he plans to do about this. Andy says he really doesn't know. He asked Jennifer to call somebody important about this. Federal, state, or local? Andy tells her she can take her choice. Andy wants Ivan to meet Art. He'll know what to do. <laughs> what am I saying? Huh? Bailey tells Ivan it's okay to go with Andy. Andy and Andy and Ivan head to Mr. Carlson's office. Les watches them leave, scratching his chin. Something's going on here. I don't trust that guy. Travis. Herb says, nodding his head. <laughs> it's that sneaky Travis. Les tells him, no, the member of the Communist Party. Bailey folds her arms across her chest. Oh, Les. Les tells them all. We'll see. Yes, we certainly will. We cut into Art's office where Art is concentrating. He is working hard on a paint-by-number canvas. He realizes he may have confused some of the colors. It's for a number. <laughs> thought that was pagan green. <laughs> <sighs> what to do, what to do. <laughs> there's a knock on the door. Sorry, nobody home. Gone south for the winter. Andy opens the door telling Art there's somebody he should meet. He opens the door all the way for Ivan to come in. And Ivan has his back to us because he's staring at Jennifer, who's talking on the phone. Andy takes Ivan by the arm and guides him into Art's office. This is Ivan uh, Papa something. And he's a Russian. Uh -huh. Well, actually, he's a uh, Russian defector. He's asked for political asylum here at the station. Carlson doesn't even turn around, and he begins to chuckle. <laughs> Andy tells Carlson that he's serious. He explains that Ivan is from Kiev in the Ukraine. He also explains that they bought him some clothes. Carlson turns around to look at Ivan. Then he turns back around toward his painting, laughing, and he continues to paint. I'm not kidding, Mr. Carlson. This man is a Russian hog expert. Carlson just laughs even louder. Andy looks at Ivan and tells him that they should go now. Andy turns back to Carlson. It's true. Why no one here? Now, Art's not buying any of that. <laughs> no, Thinks not it's at some all. big elaborate joke because what Russian would be in Cincinnati? I understand. Or what Russian would come to uh, the station asking to defect. Yeah. 
So we move out into the lobby where Andy and Ivan are coming out of Art's office. It's a cut to continuity. Art's not buying any of it. You can hear him continuing to laugh hysterically as Andy closes the door. Jennifer is just finishing up a phone call. She says thank you to the person on the other end. Jennifer says they need to go to the nearest U.S. immigration office. Andy is happy that they have a plan. He tells Ivan to stay in the lobby while he goes to get Bailey. Ivan is standing with this goofy grin on his face, staring at Jennifer. He is not moving. I don't think Ivan is going anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) He loves the sights at the station. We transition now to a swing set. This is the immigration office there in Cincinnati. Bailey, Ivan, and Andy walk in. Okay, we wait. Uh, We sit down and wait. As Andy says this, he's motioning towards the chairs with his hands. Okay, I will. (laughs) Ivan makes the same hand motions that Andy made. So a man enters carrying a sandwich and a drink, and look who it is. It is Sam Anderson. Sam Anderson is playing the character named Mr. Anderson. Sam is a frequent flyer on WKRP. We first met him in season one. He played Mason Noble, who was interviewing for Johnny's job in Johnny Comes Back. Yeah, this is Mason Noble here with the sounds that abound and sometimes astound, and it's all planned, especially for you. Hey. <laughs> Sam joins Hugh Gillen as a returning guest star who is playing an entirely different character. Spoilers. Sam is such a versatile and funny performer. He'll be back again in both the third and fourth seasons. He'll also be playing a new character each time. Amazingly, we have a poster watch in the immigration office. (laughs) Behind Andy's head, we see a poster of Chief Iron Eyes, Cody. This poster was part of one of the most famous Keep America Beautiful public service campaigns ever. The centerpiece of the campaign was an elaborately produced television commercial featuring Chief Iron Eyes. He starts out in a canoe and then winds up walking along a section of the New Jersey Turnpike. As he's watching traffic whiz by, a bag of fast food trash is flung from a car and lands at his feet. There's a close-up on the chief's face, and a single tear runs down his cheek. It was powerful. William Conrad did the voiceover for this campaign. Some people have a deep, abiding respect for the natural beauty that was once this country. And some people don't. People start pollution. People can stop it. How effective was that single tear? The ads are credited with reducing litter by 88% across 38 states. Throughout his life, Iron Eyes claimed he was Native American. He performed as a Native American in Hollywood movies, most famously as Chief Iron Eyes in Bob Hope's The Pale Face. In reality, Cody had no Native American blood. His birth name was Espera Oscar de Corti, and his parentage was Sicilian. As Mr. Anderson enters, he looks shocked there's someone in the room. Well, he tells the three to come into his office and sit down. He opens a small gate in a railing that looks like what you would see in a courtroom. And we see his desk. This is his office. I'm afraid we don't have enough chairs. Uh, One of you will have to sit out in the lobby. I will. (laughs) 
Andy says that he'll go back to the lobby. The room is so small that this creates a great visual gag. Andy turns around and takes a seat in a chair just on the other side of the railing. He's so close he can pull his chair right up <laughs> behind Bailey and Ivan, and he rests his arms on the railing. So Mr. Anderson is just thrilled to have anyone in his office. We don't get very many visitors here. Occasional work visa application. Sometimes my wife drops up, we go to lunch. Is he a Russian? No. Do you dance, sir? Uh, no, no. Bailey introduces Ivan to Anderson, but then a picture on the wall, and it's a big one, distracts her. Why do you have a picture of Richard Nixon on the wall? Which brings us to... The line of the episode. They never sent me a Carter. And hold on a minute. Nixon resigned in 1974. They skipped over Ford. And this is right at the end of... Carter's term. So he's been there for four years now without a Carter while Carter was president. Bailey explains that Ivan wants to defect to this country. Wow. And he asks if he can help them. I don't think so. When Mr. Anderson asked, do you dance? He was expecting Ivan to be from the Bolshoi Ballet. The Moscow-based Bolshoi is recognized as the foremost ballet company in the world. It's also one of the oldest, founded in 1776. The ballet travels the world extensively, and in the 1970s, members were known to defect regularly. Well, at least they did on sitcoms. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so Anderson has said that he can't help them, and Bailey asks, why not? She says, Russians defect all the time. Not in Cincinnati, they don't. No. See, this is just a branch office. Nothing ever happens here. There's occasional work visa application, or sometimes my wife drops by. <laughs> Mr. Anderson, uh, what should we do? Well, Anderson, like any good bureaucrat, suggests filling out the necessary forms. No, sir, we don't have time for forms. His delegation is going to be looking for him. They're going to want him back. Mr. Anderson looks at Ivan and just tells him he can't defect here. There are a lot of things that you can't do in Cincinnati, <laughs> and that's one of them. Uh, how about Los Angeles? Bailey asks Ivan if his delegation is going to Los Angeles. No, no pigs in Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> and that was what I thought was, was a good, good for a line. Yes, that was a good one. line of the episode. Mr. Anderson explains the district head is the only person who can grant political asylum. So they need to go to Cleveland, where the district office is located. It's a lot bigger office than this. They have much nicer desks. You know, they have a Carter. <laughs> Big one. In oil. Andy asks Ivan if his delegation is going to Cleveland. Ivan tells him that they are going in two days. I never realized that the importance of a federal office could be determined by the quality of the painting of the president. <laughs> I guess that's, that's a what, measurement or something. That's it. There. So Andy tells Ivan he can defect there when his group goes, or Andy came up with this. They could drive him to Cleveland tonight. Tonight? Dude, we go in big car with tape deck. You bet. <laughs> to Cleveland and freedom. And he asked Mr. Anderson what he thinks. Now, Mr. Anderson 
is nodding his head up and down very vigorously and deliberately as he is saying... I can't advise you. It's out of my hands. (laughs) As they're leaving, Mr. Anderson stands up. Thank you for giving me the most exciting day of my whole professional life. (laughs) Yeah, it was a pretty big day for him. So Anderson sits down at his desk and he is energized, ready for anything. Okay, who's next? We come back and we're in the studio. It must be Venus's shift because the studio is dimly lit. Ivan is in the studio looking through record albums. Bailey is sitting on the stool in the studio. Venus is at the mic. Ivan pulls out an album. Goldie, Goldie. Please make big request to Bailey from Yvonne with much love. Venus tells Ivan he has a better song to play than that. Ivan gets excited and he begins turning knobs on the control panel, causing the music to become very loud and distorted. The song we hear Ivan turn up to distortion is Heartstring by American jazz guitarist and composer Earl Clue. Heartstring is the instrumental title track from Clue's fifth studio album, which was released in November of 1979. Andy enters the studio with Bailey's coat and something in a paper bag. He switches on the lights, causing Venus to cover his eyes. And they repeat this joke a lot. (laughs) Andy is wound up. Damn, I like this cloak and dagger stuff, huh? Yeah. Carrying a Russian across Ohio in the dead of night? You telling me my life ain't working out? He's very excited, I think. He's looking forward to this. He loves this cloak and dagger stuff. Well, Jennifer comes into the studio, and Andy takes one look at her, and he can tell something is wrong. There are Russians in the lobby. Do they know Ivan's here? Well, I guess so. Ivan tells him he's going to handle everything. He doesn't want to make trouble for them and even calls them his new friends. He asks Andy for his old clothes. Andy hesitates. Then he hands Ivan the paper bag. Thank you, Travisky. Bailey asks Ivan to not go back. I think Bailey's kind of started liking Ivan, but Ivan tells her that he has to. Now we're in the lobby. It's a little while later. Bailey and Andy enter. They see Ivan's three comrades standing in the lobby. Hello. Where is Ivan Papasanovsky? Oh, the Russian guy. Yeah, he'll be right. (laughs) Mr. Carlson comes out of his office sees the Russians, and he asks who they are. Uh, a Russians, Mr. Carlson. Carlson begins laughing and saying that he loves it. He passes by the three Russians, still laughing. You really had yourself this time, Travis. <laughs> Carlson leaves the lobby, headed for home. I love Andy's, oh, the Russian guy, after they whip off that <laughs> yes. huge, long name. So Ivan comes into the lobby and greets his comrades. He and one of the Russian guys begin arguing in Russian. Andy steps over and interrupts the two men, asking if there is a problem. It's no business of yours, capitalist exploiter. I see with my own eyeballs corrupt system here, comrade. Ooh, Ivan turning on Andy, but it's all for show. Les enters the lobby as Ivan is speaking. Ivan sees him and tells him he's a lying member of the decadent news media. Ivan tells Les he is a part of the corrupt propaganda machine. I am not. He's wrong ball scores, too. Ooh, and wrong ball scores, too. Yeah, and, you know, Les is mad, but he just cannot make himself sound threatening. He just cannot get that. It's still... I am not. Les looks at Bailey and Andy. I told you you couldn't trust a Russian. Ivan continues, telling his comrades that 
People are unhappy here. The conditions are terrible. Black men held prisoner in small room. <laughs> Ivan tells everyone that he won't stay here one more minute. Comrades, we leave now for Cleveland. At the mention of Cleveland, Andy and Bailey smile at Ivan. Les is telling them all to get out. Get out! Out! Ivan herds the other Russians ahead of him out of the lobby. All right, we get one of those extended time things here where Ivan turns back just before leaving, and he talks to us for a long time, and his comrades don't come looking for him. But he turns to them and says, Is a Cleveland phone play? Andy and Bailey kind of mumble and stumble. They're trying to think of something nice to say about Cleveland. It's a magnificent place. Ivan walks right up to Les and he looks him in the eye. Hold me closer, tiny dancer. Les is speechless. He looks at Ivan and slowly backs away. We have to acknowledge something here that I feel badly we've never mentioned before. The WKRP cast is not the only WKRP-themed podcast out there. There is another that came well before we even thought about doing a podcast. Two guys named Rob McDougall and Mike Grasso produced a podcast series titled Hold My Order, Terrible Dresser, the WKRP History Nerd Deep Dive Podcast. The title of their podcast is a reference to the syndication dub that was done to this episode. Now, the universe of people who have done an episode-by-episode anything about WKRP is kind of small, so it probably won't surprise you to know that WKRP blogger Roy Penny is friends with the Hold My Order guys. So Roy introduced me to Rob McDougall, and Rob has been a great pen pal going back to when we started our show. Rob has always told me he never wanted to be the identify-every-poster-talk-about-every-song guy. That's what we love, so the two shows definitely complement each other. Now, knowing this was the episode where they got their name, I told Rob, I really want to say hi to you guys, and I want to talk about the Hold My Order podcast, but we can't do it without a clip of the dub. Well, thankfully, Rob had one. He got it from Graham Springer, one of the admins over at the WKRP in Cincinnati page. Graham got it by pointing his phone at the TV while the syndicated version was playing. So here it is, the worst voice dub of the series and the dub that inspired a podcast for more than 30 years when Ivan said, hold me closer, tiny dancer, what audiences were hearing was this. Hold my order, terrible dancer. <laughs> so go check out hold me closer, tiny, no, so go check <laughs> whatever the name of their podcast. So go check out Hold My Order, Terrible Dresser, the other WKRP podcasts, and send Rob a note and tell him hi and thanks for the clip. Ivan turns to look at Bailey and Andy. Good luck, comrade. No, no, no. Not comrade. Friend. Ivan gives them two thumbs up and he turns and leaves. Andy and Bailey stand for a bit, both of them a bit teary eyed. They head back toward the bullpen. Damn. Uh. I was kind of looking forward to going to Cleveland. Andy's voice cracks as he says this line, and putting their arms around each other, they leave the lobby. I've always liked that episode, but the only thing that bothers me about it is Cleveland is like four hours away from Cincinnati. 
He could go to Cleveland, defect, and be back by dinner tomorrow. He doesn't have to leave Bailey. Ah, well. So, Donna, what's up for next week? We will be discussing Les's groupie. Newsman Les Nessman is surprised to learn he has a female groupie. She loves listening to his news show very much, but also loves him to the point of unreasonably interfering with and taking over his life, both at home and work. That's going to do it for this episode of the WKRP cast. Watch along with us. Check our show notes. We've got all the information on how you can get your own set of DVDs. Find us on social media. You can follow our Facebook page at WKRPCast. Got a question, comment, or correction? Let us know about it. Write us, WKRPCast at gmail.com. And remember to please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. Bye. May the good news be yours. The WKRP cast is not endorsed by MTM Enterprises, Shout Factory, or CBS. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. WKRP in Cincinnati, the WKRP logo, and all names, pictures, and audio of WKRP in Cincinnati characters are registered trademarks of MTM, CBS, Shout Factory, or their respective copyright holders. Almost forgot, fellow babies. Booger!